welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and today we get back on our 1995 timeline and analyse the October 9 episodes of Raw and Nitro. Episode 7 went up about an hour ago as of this recording. Uh, do let me know what you thought about going back to 1988, um, if it's something you enjoyed or you're preferring the, the 90s stuff. Give us the feedback on Twitter if you can. As always, keep up the likes, retweets and reviews if you feel so inclined as well. At the time of hearing this, it will probably be the weekend, uh, recording this one in advance um, with the big Premier League kickoff this weekend. I'm not expecting to have time to record another show this week, so hopefully this one will be out by then and everybody enjoys. So with no further ado, we'll kick off. We flip the coin as always, and we're starting with Raw tonight. up with this little doozy of a clip I've been dying to put in ever since I started the podcast. The World Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. And we're underway on this special Columbus Day edition of Monday Night Raw. Vince and Jerry Lawler are the commentators, and Vince McMahon quickly tells us that we're about to kick off with a six-man tag team match extraordinaire. Classic Vinceism there. The heel team of Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, and Yokozuna are already in the ring with Yoko's music playing, and it's time for the faces to come out. First up, we get the turning off of the lights and the ominous gong that signifies the Undertaker's on the way out, Uh, and then we throw back to a strange clip of Shawn Michaels at some sort of event for children, um, in tears, saying that he can't believe people think he's important and look up to him. A bit of a weird way to start the show. We cut back into the show and Shawn Michaels comes out before we get the entrance of Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Before we get any action in the ring, we have to throw to a commercial break, and when we come back in, the match has started with Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart in the ring. We get some decent action early on with a quick exchange. Shawn Michaels does an interesting arm drag variation, sort of flipping over, uh, a nice-looking monkey flip, and then he clotheslines Owen Hart over the top rope Cactus Jack style before skinning the cat back into the ring himself. The British Bulldog tags in and in pretty much no time flat, all six men are in the ring. A little bit of a brawl ending with a double big boot from The Undertaker and Diesel onto Yokozuna. And then we settle back down with Diesel and the British Bulldog in, contra- in the ring and Diesel in control. He doesn't stay in for too long, the Bulldog, before Yokozuna tags in. Diesel hits him with a big flying clothesline and tags with The Undertaker, who pretty much immediately goes old school, before Yokozuna fires back with a nice-looking Samoan drop, which The Undertaker sells for a moment before sitting up. 
Undertaker then hits one of my favourite moves of his early part of his career when Yokozuna goes for the backdrop and he hits him with the swinging DDT. And as they are on the canvas for that, we notice that Whaler Mercy is in the aisle watching again. The match abruptly cuts away for replays of some of the moves we've seen so far. Before we get back and see that Shawn Michaels is now in there with Yokozuna, Yoko hits a really nice sort of rock bottom type slam. Um, before tagging in Owen Hart, who then goes for the pin and gets a two-count. A little bit weird that Yoko didn't pin in himself. Owen tags in the Bulldog as the heels take over control, and they hit a nice double elbow on Sean, before the Bulldog then puts him up for a gorilla press and actually does several reps with him up, which was pretty impressive. A little bit of uh, triple teaming by the heels before they go into the abdominal stretch and hold from the outside for extra leverage. Some great wrestling logic on display again. As we cut away from the action in the ring once again, we see that Dean Douglas is in the aisle taking notes. Uh, we didn't actually get his grade for this one, so I'm hoping that's going to come with end of semester report cards. As Sean continues to sell for the heels, Vince tells us that Sean will need to either tag in The Undertaker or the other dude with attitude. British Bulldog, who's in a weird red and yellow uh, set of tights this evening, looking like a cross between Hulk Hogan and a McDonald's chip packet, puts Shawn Michaels up for a really big delayed suplex. The Bulldog always did that the best. Owen Hart gets back in and hits a nice-looking spinning heel kick slash leg lariat, and Vince goes into another one of his classics. He got him, he got him. No, he didn't. Go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we see in the break, Owen missed a big splash off the top rope. And then we get the hot tag to Diesel, who hits a sidewalk slam on the British Bulldog uh, before attacking all three. And then the distraction allows the Bulldog to get Diesel up in his running power slam finish, but the Undertaker makes a save. While this is happening, Yoko sort of sneaks into the ring as best he can from out his highs and hits a big leg drop on Diesel, allowing the heels to pick up the three count and get the win. Undertaker comes in and starts to try and take on all three of the heels himself, but Mabel comes down and joins in. Mabel and Yokozuna take turns with some avalanches and leg drops on the dead man. Dean Douglas, meanwhile, has come out and has a hold of Shawn Michaels and is beating him down on the outside. While this is going on, we get one of our two dick movie of the weeks this week. Yes, uh, there were two incidents that couldn't be looked past. Dean Douglas is beating away on Shawn Michaels in the aisle, and a girl in the front row rears back and clocks him with a slap. I'm talking a huge Stephanie McMahon-style slap on Dean. Back in the ring, Yoko and Mabel drop repeated leg drops on The Undertaker. Um, this is around the time of the injury to his eye socket, and this angle would be used as the reason for it happening. It wasn't actually ha- it didn't actually happen here. It happened later on with a mistimed clothesline with Mabel, I believe, on a house show. But this would be the angle they would use to sell the, the injury and the Phantom of the Opera mask. Now, as a bit of an interesting postscript to this uh, opening match and beatdown angle afterwards, I didn't know. I was reading the very interesting Titan Sinking book this morning, actually, by James Dixon, well worth checking out. And it turns out this episode of Raw was right sort of at the end of the Bill Watts three or four week reign in charge of the WWF in 1995. And it was actually this match that led to him resigning. Turns out Bill Watts was a big fan of the heels getting the beat down on the baby faces to sell something to come back from later. And the WWF had always typically been a babyface promotion, so I think at this time we are 11 WrestleManias in and we've never ended with a heel as champion or a heel winning in the main event. That wouldn't actually come to WrestleMania 16, so we're still a good five years away from that now. Anyway, Bill Watts booked this to be the main event and the beatdown angle to be how Raw ended. And Vince McMahon, who had promised Bill Watts 
total control over the booking side of things while he got his business back in order after the steroid trial and WCW coming up and so forth, um, overruled him. And when the taped show aired, he had moved it to the start of the show. That way the show would not end with the baby faces in peril. So apparently Bill Watts took this to mean that he wasn't going to have total control and parted ways with Vince McMahon and the WWF, apparently very cordially. So there was no ill will or hard feelings, but if he wasn't going to have control, he didn't feel he could work there. Very interesting find that I read just this morning. Back to Raw, and after this, while the faces were selling in the ring, we got replays of the Brett Hart and Jean-Pierre Lafitte angle. Um, you'll remember back to the closing scenes with Jerry Lawler the other week and Jerry Lawler taking his shirt and crown off before Isaac Yankum attacked Brett. And um, Jerry Lawler says something along the lines of when he saw my body, he fled. He may have done, but probably not for the reason you meant there, Jerry. And we are told next week will be the big steel cage match between Brett Hart and Isaac Yankum before then going to clips of Brett and Isaac Yankum at SummerSlam and... A few other video packages, all pretty lengthy with Vince and Jerry Lawler basically re-commentating over the top of them. You're talking probably about 10 minutes in total of this with recaps. It was a really long time. Um, I get they were clearing out the ring and whatnot with the faces, but this took up a good chunk of the show. Remember back in these days, we're always about 45 minutes long. And I'm sat here sort of looking through the recaps, getting a little bit bored because it's not nothing's happening to write on. And I realised... If at this time this was happening, I probably would have flipped to Nitro. So an interesting point there in the Monday Night Wars. When we do finally come back from the recaps and the commercial break, we've got Skip and Sonny in the ring and make a difference Fatu on his way down. Vince McMahon tells us this is a man who can make a difference. Thanks for clearing that up. And we get a strange ad for some house shows coming up known as a World Tour de Force. I think that was just like a little name they give to the house show runs. Knowing when they come over here to Australia, they normally have a catchy line for the three or four shows they'll run. Um, the interesting part of it was they said this Saturday in Syracuse, notwithstanding this Sunday afternoon in Unica, New York. I know Vince loves notwithstanding, but did that sentence make sense to anybody? Because it just made me scratch my head and rewound it four times to try and figure out what he was actually saying. When the match does finally get underway, we start with Skip hitting a nice leapfrog and some star jumps to taunt Fatu before going to an eye rake and some punches and driving Fatu's head into the turnbuckle, which he no-sells because he's a Samoan and they don't get pain in the head. Fatu comes back with some punches and a headbutt of his own. Um, Sonny's up on the apron pretty quick trying to make the distraction and Skip follows Fatu to the outside um, and turns and hits a punch that missed the head by a mile. It really grazed the elbow, but Fatu sold it anyway. When they get back in the ring, Fatu ends up hitting his shoulder into the ring post as Skip gets out of the way. Skip goes to a nice back suplex before coming up with a second batch of star jumps. Skip gets some more offense with a second rope fish drop and an Nsguri type kick without the catching of the leg beforehand, which gets him a two count. After a slow pin celebrating with Sonny, no less. He then goes to an elbow to the head, which hurts his arm, taking the hard head gimmick to a whole nother level. This allows Fatu to get back on the offense anyway, with a nice backdrop, a big corner clothesline, and a decent looking backbreaker, before Sonny again comes in for the distraction. Fatu goes to the apron, and Skip drives his head into the ring post, which this time he does sell, so there are limits to a Samoan's head. Um, he gets him up top and attempts a superplex, but Fatu is too heavy. Um, he tries again and he's knocked off the top rope. Fatu then follows him off with a big top rope splash, gets the one, two, three, and does some star jumps of his own. 
When we come back, then we go backstage to Doc Hendricks outside the Faces locker room. He tells us that Shawn Michaels has collapsed. Diesel is really angry, but Undertaker got the worst of it. He does offer to go in and interview them, but Vince McMahon tells him not to disturb them. JR is back with the Bulldog and Jim Cornette, the British Bulldog, he still has his wrestling tights on but has added a plain-looking baseball cap, so he just looks like an idiot. Uh, Cornette does all the talking for a while, telling us that the British Bulldog's going to win the title and take it back to the UK as the Americans don't deserve the world title. And then the Bulldog gets in Martin Dixon's favourite line, telling us he's going to take the belt in your loose. They also make an, um, some comments. Jim Cornette says that Princess Diana gave him the hat. Oh, God, that's just taking it to another level. Before Mabel comes in and uh, informs the British Bulldog that he is, in fact, Mabel's homie. We get some more replays um, before finding out that for the cage match, Jerry Lawler will be suspended in the, the shark cage. Um, you've seen the small cage a number of times before. Famously, China bent the bars at one pay-per-view in one of these cages. Um, and that wraps up the episode. For me, a really disappointing episode because when the six-man tag was announced, I was really looking forward to this. And two matches, one which is Skip against Fatu, and a bunch of replays and recaps, not the best episode I've watched so far. In fact, I'd say it's probably near the worst. With that being said, let's flip over to the other channel and see if WCW had something more interesting on offer. episode of Nitro comes to us from the Rosemont Horizon just outside Chicago if you ask anyone in the WWF or WCW it seems and we open up with a recap of the Hulk Hogan beat down at the hands of the Dungeon of Doom and having his moustache shaved off before we go to the commentary team as usual Bobby the Brain Heenan, Steve Mongo McMichael and Eric Bischoff this week all wearing Chicago Bears jerseys they inform us that Hulk Hogan is here which is great that's going to help with the ratings and then Sting comes to the commentary table to talk about the Macho Man and Lex Luger situation saying he has a way to solve this problem later on before we can do that however we have our opening match of the evening which is a United States title match Sting defending against the Shark 
The Shark, a.k.a. John Tenter, a.k.a. Earthquake, comes out first, and I notice he has the Paul Heyman ponytail at this stage and has shark teeth painted on his face. Um, Earthquake never had the best look, but do we need to make it this bad, boys? We then cut to Sting's music and entrance um, at the start of the aisle, which seemed a little bit weird because he was out no more than a minute ago, but he does pop in from the side of the frame and make a joke about them looking for him in the aisleway, so I made up for it. As Sting's coming down the aisle, I do notice in the front row we have a 1995 Smark supporting the heels, doing the shark hand signal like crazy. I don't know why I did the signal. This is an audio podcast, but if you've ever seen it, you get it. If you don't, you think I'm an idiot. Shark does get on the offense pretty early, hitting a power slam pretty much straight away, an elbow drop and a leg drop, getting the two count before he puts Sting in the corner, who avoids Shark's avalanche pun intended, and then gets hit with two stinger splashes of his own, a crossbody block off the top rope, and Sting picks up the three count for a quick title defense. We then go to another quick recap of the Hogan Dungeon of Doom storyline, an ad for Halloween Havoc, and the Monster Truck match promo, which again, you'll never convince me this was anything but ridiculous, even for 1995. We then come back from commercial and we get the all ECW affair I promised you when we talked at Raw and Nitro last time, Sabu taking on Mr. JL. Sabu comes out first and gets a really good pop. Um, As he's about halfway down the aisle, we get a chant breakout. I couldn't tell if it was Sabu or ECW, but it was a really good chant. And as we are coming, uh, Sabu's coming down the ring and gets to the ringside area, the camera pans across a fan in the front row, sort of at the join of the ramp and the ringside area, and the face catches my eye, so I rewind it and pause it on him, and holy fuck, it's the future former WWE ring announcer Justin Roberts in the front row celebrating like crazy at Nitro. Wow. Once we get Mr. JL in the ring, Sabu does jump on him nice and early, hits a good slam and a rolling sort of flipping leg drop from the apron over the top rope. Very cool. And then as JL sat up, he hits a springboard leg lariat off the middle rope. So that was cool as well. We get another good chant for Sabu with a really good Sabu chant from the crowd before he hits a nice, uh, gets hit by a nice back elbow from JL, sorry. And then all of a sudden we get a really big Hogan sucks chant proving that Chicago is one of the best wrestling towns. Sabu ends up on the outside, and we get a nice suicide dive by JL um, before Sabu hits a sloppy sort of spinning kick and comes over with a somersault plancher of his own. He sets up the chair on the outside as Sabu is customary offense and dives off it with a cool-looking leg lariat towards JL on the barricade. Back inside the ring, JL reverses a German suplex attempt by Sabu and hits a nice-looking German suplex of his own and hits a really sweet-looking corner dropkick. The offense doesn't last long for JL, though, as Sabu gets back under control with the clothesline and hitting sort of a lion salt-type move, but off the top rope, sort of flipping off his backside off the rope into the moonsault. Pretty cool. He then slaps up on the camel clutch. JL does manage to get to the ropes as I make a note saying this has been a really enjoyable match thus far. And the crowd seem to agree because they break into their third big Sabu chant of the evening. Sabu goes up to the top rope looking to finish it, but JL catches him up there and hits a sick looking spike DDT Randy Orton style, but from the top rope. JL then goes up top himself, uh, but is caught by Sabu, who attempts a Hurricane Rana, but JL holds onto the rope, sending uh, Sabu down on his own, dives off the ropes, but Sabu catches him in a sort of a block, almost a powerbomb type reversal, and then locks on the camel clutch for a second time and gets a submission victory. 
After the match, Sabu, continuing his wild streak in WCW, hits a sunset flip powerbomb on the outside, spiking JL on the concrete floor. And I would just recommend to anyone that hasn't seen this episode of Nitro, go and check this match out. Um, This is the first real sort of hidden gem of a match I've found in doing this show, something I had no idea about that thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, Well worth checking it out. And as we go to a commercial break, we get some more hype for Hulk Hogan giant uh, confrontation. When we come back, Mean Gene Oakland is in the ring with Lex Luger and Sting, and Sting on the microphone asks that the Macho Man join them. As Macho is making his entrance, I see someone in the crowd is holding a diesel power sign, again at the wrong show, but what perked my interest with this one is it was held on a sign slightly bigger than a business card, so... I'm not quite sure what he was hoping to achieve with that, but he still managed to get it on camera, so fair dues to him. Macho Man does hit the ring and attempts to make a beeline for Lex, but they do run blockage and stop him doing that. He's pretty fired up um, and starts ranting before Sting actually tells him to shut up, so showing a bit of fire of his own. Sting makes a suggestion that at the upcoming Halloween Havoc pay-per-view, if Lex, Luger and the Macho Man beat Meng and Kamala in their respective matches, they should have a match afterwards at the pay-per-view. Macho Man's all for it. Lex Luger attempts to say no before Sting calls him out, calling him pathetic and challenging him to man up. Eventually, Lex takes the bait and they agree, and the match is set for Halloween Havoc. If Macho and Lex both win their matches, they will face each other afterwards. Outside the arena, we see a limousine pull up while Eric Bischoff is talking up the man inside, saying he's a hot free agent, someone they're desperate to get a hold of, and out steps a very mulleted future murderer, Chris Benoit. He looks up at the building and mutters the line, WCW, where the big boys play, and that's Benoit on board for WCW. Uh, When we come back, Disco Inferno comes out for another impromptu dance session on the stage uh, before Big Bubba Rogers, a.k.a. the Big Boss Man, comes out for his match with Hawk. Um, As Disco's music's cut off and Bubba walks past, he puts his own music onto a boombox, keeping it 90s for us all. And then Hawk comes out, intimidates Disco a little bit, and as he turns and walks down the aisle, Disco steals a hat from a kid in the front row and sneakily puts it on Hawk's shoulder pad. The match gets underway with Bubba jumping Hawk, hits a big avalanche splash in the corner as the crowd pop with an LOD chant. Um, LOD were always billed as being from Chicago. They they weren't actually, they were from Minnesota, but the storyline, hometown was Chicago. Uh, Good power slam by Hawk before Disco comes down to ringside, gets on the apron, Hawk runs out after him and gets counted out. We are then told Hulk Hogan will be here after the commercial break. When we come back from said break, Gene is with Hulk. Um, Hulk is in all black, and we're told this is the dark side of Hulk Hogan. Gene really sells it like this is something crazy, having Hulk Hogan in black. Hulk tells Gene to shut up, um, showing his real evil dark side persona, before reverting back to kind, calling giant Andre's son that big, no-good, stinky giant. So, black outfit, shut up Gene, and business as usual. Gene informs us that the Giant has had a restraining order put on him and is therefore barred from the arena um, before Hulk goes on a weird tyrant, basically saying, a long time ago in the New York City area, uh, when the mania was running wild, a promoter's ego got bigger than the wrestling business, and now that promoter is dying and choking on his own ego. Obviously talking about Vince, but this this was completely unnecessary. So this earns as our second dick move of the week. And if this podcast follows Raw and Nitro all the way through, I think Hulk is going to rack these up. 
At the end of Hogs promo, we see a monster truck pulling into the arena, um, and you can see Giants in there. Kevin Sullivan is in there, and in the middle is Brutus Beefcake in his Zodiac gear, waving his arms around like a black and white, Bailey inflatable man on her entrance. Just looks like an idiot, as usual. We then get some fireworks as they lower the cage for our main event. We see that Pepe is with the commentators in Chicago Bears gear and some police come and tap Eric Bischoff on the shoulder. Continuing the um, naming the nearest big city rather than the city you're in, Eric Bischoff tells us the Rosemont police have just come and talked to me here in Chicago. Hmm, would they not be the Chicago police then? We come back for our main event of Ric Flair versus Arn Anderson in the steel cage, uh, the cage supposedly to keep Brian Pillman out, but it is a tiny cage as in height-wise, so I don't think it's going to do the job somehow. The match gets underway pretty hot and heavy with Arn attacking Flair pretty much straight away, but Flair does get the upper hand with some cool chops and a strut uh, before Arn gets Rick with a backdrop and throws him into the cage. We go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we see that Art Anderson has been crutched on the top rope, and Mongo says, that'll hurt you right where you live. No, Mongo, it won't, because I don't live in my crutch. Flair's on the upper hand now, and he throws Art into the cage and mashes his face against it, um, and then he hits him with a cool delayed vertical suplex. Uh, if you've been following through, you know I like that move. Pillman is then out. Tries to get in the cage, but he's knocked off the top by Flair. It's not a very big cage. It's not much of a drop. Flair then from the top rope turns around and hits Arn with a double axe handle. Before going to Arn's knee, going to lock in the figure four, but gets hit by a punch to block it. And Arn picks up the win with a one, two, three off the punch. Um, looked really weak, but Bischoff on commentary tells us that he obviously had something in his hand. And when they show a replay, it does look like he had brass knuckles on. We go to a commercial and when we come back, a fired up Ric Flair has gone to the announcer's booth and tells us that next week he wants Pillman and Arn two on one. He says he'll scour the earth for a partner, but if he can't find one, he'll do it on his own. Woo! Commentators then run down the night's uh, events and the storylines. Heenan with a good line saying about Hulk Hogan, you can only take this garbage for so long, meaning put up with Hulk and his routine, and in which case, I agree. They run down the matches for the upcoming Halloween Havoc, and Mongo, with another great line, says you can't help to pay-per-view that. And as they close out the show, they inform us next week we'll get DDP defending his TV title up against Johnny B. Bad, Chris Benoit up against Eddie Guerrero, please let it be longer and better than the Malenko match, Jim Duggan against Meng, please let that be short and pain-free, and Flair in either a two-on-one match or a tag team match if he can find a partner. We then go to our usual five-point rating system to determine a winner, starting off with match quality. For this week, I've gone with WCW for match quality. The Sabu Mr. JL match was by far the best thing I've watched for the podcast so far. Really enjoyed it. Um, WWF, the six-man tag was okay, but it didn't last long enough. And the Fatu skip match was entirely skippable, no pun intended. Um, it's the epitome of mid-90s WWF that no one remembers. The rest of the stuff on the WCW card wasn't too bad. The cage match was too short. Um, Sting and Shark was short, and Bubba and Hawk was short as well. So it's really a one-match night, and that was a good one. For production value, I've gone with WCW. Um, a couple of reasons. One, they had far less recaps and replays and didn't attempt to talk over them either, which was really annoying. Uh, they were live, and they were in front of a much bigger crowd, so it just looked better. Fireworks, um, it was a lot slicker. 
the big crowd in Chicago brings me to my next point, which is crowd heat. And again, WCW are going to pick this one up. Sabu seemed to have more heat than just about anyone um, on either show, which was cool to see. And Hogan Sucks Chance showed they were at least, you know, giving their feedback. Um, good reactions to a few of the other guys. And certainly nothing on Raw um, came close to it. When it comes to characters, I'm going to again give it to WCW. They got more of them on offer and got more promos into them as well. So we heard from Flair, we heard from Sting, we heard from Macho, Lex Luger, Hulk Hogan. Um, and we got appearances by Giant um, and some others. So characters, WCW definitely stood out. On Raw, there was some good character development for the Bulldog, um, but that was really about it. The other guys appeared and there was a beatdown, but it wasn't much. I know they tried to get Mabel in there as well, but that was a character that was never going to develop in my opinion. So WCW wins this one leading us to our last category of storylines. And to make it the clean sweep, I'm going to go WCW Nitro again. They advance the Hogan Giant storyline, the Macho Lex Luger Sting three-way storyline. They began what may end up being a storyline between Disco Inferno and Hawk, as lame as it could end up being. And really, in opposition, WWF only worked on one storyline. Um, I suppose the recap video is kind of hyped up Brett. Lawler, DDS, but it's a crap storyline and they didn't have any real-time advancement of it, just recaps. And the storyline angle, I hate to say I agree with the Bill Watts suggestion that it should have ended the show, but it really should have. Skipping Part 2 is not a main event. Had that opened and the six-man had ended Raw with a big beatdown and a serious angle, this show doing nothing different could have been salvaged and much better. So... For this night, WCW gets a clean sweep, something I didn't expect to happen too often, especially not so early in the Nitro's run. So fair dues to Eric Bischoff for having the better show. So that'll do it for this episode. Um, thank you all for listening as always. Thank you for the interaction on Twitter. Keep sending your suggestions, your feedback, both good and bad. I can take it. I'm a big boy. Um, continue to get in touch as you feel free. And thank you for listening and spreading the word. Awesome.
Turn on. 